Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Today we have for you Gary Gracia. Welcome, Gary. Hey, Simone. Thank you for letting me be on here. Thank you. Awesome. We're excited to hear your journey today. Uh, if you don't mind letting us know or telling us a bit about your uh, yourself, whether it's uh, professionally or personal, whatever you'd like to share. I am a, I'm a federal employee. I'm a patent examiner, but I am also a keynote speaker as well as a, a life coach. Just recently got into those arenas after uh, COVID, just motivating me to expand um, my gifts and what I was drawn to do. I am married. I have three kids. Awesome. So if you can tell us a bit about your heritage and where's your family originating from, uh, if it goes further back from the country that they're currently attached to. My parents are Haitian. I am Haitian American. So I was born here in America. I was interestingly, I was born in New Mexico and my parents came here back in the 60s. I believe when I'm speaking to other fellow Haitians, we have some origin in Ghana, but I have to do my due diligence and confirm that. But right now I am from Haiti. I, I love my culture. And yeah. I know some people have a story behind what brings them to the United States. Some of them might be quite sensitive. If yours is one of those, you don't have to share. But if you're able to share, is there a story behind what brings you to the United States? So my parents are both in the medical field. And they, after they went to a school in Mexico, they got married and they came to, I think, um, Texas. And they traveled all over the United States, basically looking for work. And they moved to America for a better opportunity. America was blooming in, in view of the industrialization of America. And so they migrated into the U.S. What is life like in Haiti and, and what has your experience been when you visit? Haiti for me is very complicated. It's a very complicated country. Haiti, the culture is great. However, there's been a lot of corruption going back to the 80s. The last time I went was when I was actually 12, and I had the best time. In any island life, one, it's slower, but there's definitely a lot of poor parts and a lot of rich areas. Port-au-Prince is, is the main capital there. Uh, the first time I went there, I landed, and one thing that was very interesting is that there were people looking to help you. And I thought that was really great. Until when my grandfather came and picked us up, my parents and my sister, 
we got in this truck. They hung onto the truck asking for money. And my grandfather was literally driving while people were still holding on to uh, his truck asking for money. And when we gave them money, they just jumped off. So that was one of the interesting things about it. My grandfather, he owned, I think, a supermarket. And so he was living a very decent life. But when we, we went to his house, it was beautiful. He had a farm. Um, they literally, you know, in the islands, they kill their own food. Uh, that was one experience that was very weird for me was I befriended a chicken. And then the next day I said, where is Ralphie? I shouldn't have named him. And I didn't know I ate him the, ne- the, the day before. Ralphie was very delicious. When you just kill a, a, an animal and you eat it, that chicken was amazing. When you eat that and then you look at the food in America, you say, wow, what are they feeding us here? It was beautiful back then. But since then, there's just been so much corruption, so much kidnappings. There's been kidnappings in my own family where they kidnapped our, our family. It's, it's heart-wrenching. One of the most heart-wrenching things was when they had the earthquake. And Haiti, supposedly they, they donated a billion dollars towards Haiti. But Haiti never really got that money. Just look at the history. They did not really properly distribute it. Uh, I think a lot of charities were there. And a lot of charities probably gave them maybe food and maybe water and, and maybe clothes, but they did not help reestablish the country and kind of fix up the country the, the way they should have. People who are there, like, for instance, my grandfather, who is still there, we've been trying to make him leave the country. He's not leaving his country. It's his country because it's not that safe. But he's not going to leave because it's his country. It's hard to, to kind of watch especially Haiti, when there's beautiful parts of, of Haiti. And a lot of times when America or other people are, are showing Haiti, they're only showing the negative uh, sides of it. But yeah. Yes, it's quite a complex, uh, it, the history of the country, as in other countries in the Caribbean as well. There's like a mix mm-hmm. of, of the economy where you have the rich and poor and probably less so of a middle class that like exists here in the United States. It's a complexity to unravel. I'm wondering what is the food, the music, and and like, you know, talk about the language that you guys uh, speak in Haiti. Creole, Creole, sac passé. You know sac passé. Yeah, Um, sac passé. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, um, the food is amazing. Um, I love the food. Uh, the unique dishes that we have, uh, black rice, uh, a lot of people don't know, but I love black rice. There's legume. It's basically a, a melody of different vegetables, but they smash it all together and just it's beautiful. I, I realize each culture has similar food. So each culture, especially in the Caribbean, they have plantains, they have beans, they have rice. <laughs> The different ways we make um, patties, just like Jamaicans make patty differently. We have even the different sweets. Every country, every country, every island has a different type of sweet. Something we call sweet deuce. It's very sweet. It's very succulent. But the only thing about Caribbean food, well, I know my food, it's very sometimes greasy. We like to fry our food, but the food is, is beautiful. Uh, the music that we listen to is zouk and compa. Compa is a hybrid between merengue, but you slow it down and it's, I can't really explain it. You have to just experience it. But Mm. I I love the culture. I love the music. 
So French Creole, right? Mm-hmm. For others who are trying to, because I know for Jamaica we have the patois, which is kind of a dialect of the English uh, yeah. language, and Love then so Creole is a dialect of the French um, language. But very beautiful. But I hope to make it to Haiti. I've actually been to the other side, to Santo Domingo, but I mm-hmm. haven't. I've yet to go to Port-au-Prince or other parts of Haiti, but that's mm-hmm. on my list. Mm-hmm. So what was it like growing up being son of Haitian immigrants, balancing both cultures and, you know, being who you are, being born here and wanting to being just a regular American kid? My dad was a strict Caribbean man. He was very religious. We went to church every day. He worked hard, worked day and night. My mom was also worked. So they both worked. My dad worked from six o'clock in the morning to six at night, picked us up, brought us to school, slept for two hours and did a repeat. My mom worked from um, eight to like eight or nine, came back. They knew how to work, but we had respect for our, our, our parents. Well, I know I had respect for my, and I had a, a fear of my parents. Um, I definitely got beat. I was the, the kid that got beat, of course. I was always trying to take things apart and I never knew how to put it back. So I broke a lot of things. So it was very structured. You wake up, you do what you need to do. I realized I was privy to a lot of complaining. I was just speaking to my cousin. We know how to complain (laughs) about certain things when things aren't going right. But also I think we have like a really high standard. And so when we have a high standard, we tend to look at what's not going right. I did not have the the privy of being, you know, uh, these American kids who I have parents that used to say, oh, I love you. I love you, son. My parents never told me they loved me. I just knew that they loved me because I had a roof on my head. I remember I told my dad, hey, dad, how come you never told me you love me? He said, do you have you have a bed to sleep? Then that's love. And so um, he grew up um, different. He grew up uh, very poor. Um, my mom was more well off. My dad grew up very poor, taking care of his other brothers and sisters and his cousins. And so he knows how to penny pinch. And he, he was definitely frugal. Um, but I thank God for his frugalness. But he also had a heart to give because he was really heavy into God and, and, and helping people. So it was a good childhood. I definitely wish I had more. I wish I had Nikes and and all these other stuff and video games, but that wasn't allowed in my my childhood because it was just, it seemed like a distraction. Um, Watch this, even I'll tell you this, it sounds embarrassing, but I'll still say it. My dad would not let me buy boxers when I was a kid because he thought I was going to be like the the kids on the street. So I had to wear tidy whities (laughs) So my dad was very straightforward, but he was very much an honorable man. But yeah, it was... It was an interesting childhood. Uh, so I'm wondering how how was your experience? So you were born in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Were you raised in New, New Mexico in the school system there, or did you guys move to Northeast at some point? Because you mentioned so you, that you were in Maryland at some point. Uh, you know, where were yeah. you actually raised? I was only there for like two, three months, and then they drove me all the way to New Jersey, where I I lived the majority of my life. And then 
around the age of 25, I moved to Maryland. So what was life like being in school during those formative years? And I went okay. to a Christian school, um, Trinity Temple Academy. It was an okay school because I'm not going to say I was a latchkey kid, but because um, my parents were mostly working, they were not able to fully like be around me and nurture me the way they could have because they had uh, obligations. So I was mostly in front of the TV a lot from, yeah, I was mostly around uh, in front of the TV. I remember this is how bad it was. I was doing okay. I still had around a 3.0 grade point average, but I didn't put that much effort into it. And I, I think the school didn't really probably grew me to be more competitive. But I remember my mom one summer said, I'm going to pay you $150 to read this one book. I never did it. I just watched TV all summer. I didn't really put my best foot forward academically. However, I was very inquisitive. I loved sports and I loved to play. I grew up Adventist. Um, and that's also a very key thing uh, about my story. Because I grew up Adventist, I could not really play sports on the Sabbath, like from Friday or Saturday. So that kind of limited me on kind of the sports opportunities that I could do. And so, yeah. What were some opportunities that may have come along? I don't know if you had some scholarship opportunities that brought you to college or if you did go and so forth. Were they things that you came across that were, you know, vital in directing you into now being in a working for the federal government? I would actually say no. Um, but I would actually say I am still blessed in view of what happened. So after high school, I went into computer science and I was actually supposed to go to Andrews University in, in Michigan. But my dad did not want me to actually go there because he felt like it, it wasn't a good fit for me. So he told me to stay in in Maryland and I'll give you a car. So I stayed in Maryland. I took his old car. And so I went to William Patterson University. I went into computer science. And then when I graduated, I started working as a help desk in a company. And then after a series of doing different jobs, and then I got laid off um, I applied to be a patent examiner because uh, a friend of mine from a church told me to hey, to, to, uh, to apply. And then I became a patent examiner um, for the federal government. And that's history. Yeah. What agency does the patent examining? I, I don't have the, any knowledge of that. I just know that you can apply to have a patent. <laughs> the U.S. Uh, Department of Commerce. <clears throat> Okay. Okay. Commerce does it. Okay. Very interesting. Did your parents have an American dream for you? I know folks from the Caribbean, like I've shared before, I just knew I needed to go to college and be successful. My parents never once said it, but you just know that was the expectation, right? And, and Sim seems like it's probably similar for you as well. Was there some sort of a dream that you knew that they had for you or perhaps they may have shared once? And what might that have been? My, I know my dad did not want me to grow up like he did, as hard as he did. And he wanted me to have the opportunities that he didn't have. And he grew up in a very hard life. He lost his mother when he was young. 
and mm. he he had to kind of really work for what he had. And so even though he was very cheap, I knew where that cheapness was coming from because he didn't want to struggle. He did not want to struggle. And he wanted us to have the best opportunities, even though as Americans, we always want more being greedy. He wanted us to at least have the opportunities. He wanted us to have a good foundation uh, uh, in view of just uh, Christian ethics and uh, just having good morals. And so he he wanted us to have opportunities to not have to, like, he worked so hard that I didn't have to have student loans. Like, he worked that hard uh, for me and my sister. Like, he's worked that hard. So his dream was not for us to struggle, not for us to have the hard life like he had. So that was his dream. Yes, that that's amazing. And I mean, very similar to a lot of Caribbean parents as well. They'll make a lot of sacrifices and and forego a lot of things for themselves just so that their children can have better. And and how are your parents? I hope they are still with you and, and they, healthy. They are still and... living, praise God. Um, they are healthy. But you know, the, the, oh, when Caribbeans are at this age, they don't eat the same. So they eat very healthy. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're still alive and I, I praise God for them. I wonder, Gary, what was your experience being a young man, being raised in a dominant culture where the way you were being raised at home is so different, right? You mentioned being an Adventist. The eating habits are completely different from the general culture. Um, You're male, a black male. You're being raised Caribbean, which is completely different from uh, the culture around you. And I wonder... Were there any big adjustments that you had to make in balancing the two worlds? There were definitely some uh, adjustments. So, for instance, one key aspect about my life is that my little sister is autistic. Okay. And we, I wish we knew as much information as we knew now. We tried to do our best for her. But because my parents were still very much working hard, during the high school years, I always had to come home and stay with her while my parents were working. And because of that, that was a good thing and a bad thing. So the good thing was I didn't really get into that much mess, but the bad thing is I didn't really create or knew how to create long lasting meaningful relationships. Another aspect of that was my parents moved us into a better neighborhood because the neighborhood that we, we grew up in at the age of 12, we moved into a better neighborhood. That better neighborhood was primarily white. That was more so the first time I was around like white people in a consistent basis. Uh, it was tough that I was more so very ignorant to how people looked at me. I wasn't really paying attention to it until my sister said, hey, remember when we went into the Blockbuster? You can see how old I am. I went into a Blockbuster and my sister said, um, I think we need to get out here. Um, people are looking at us. And I wasn't paying attention. And then when I looked, it was very scary. After a while, I kind of got used to that. You had to kind of get used to that. The, the biggest challenge for me was I loved basketball. And I wasn't able to really play basketball the way I knew I could or be as great as I believe I could have been because um, of my, my, my religion. And, and so, interesting, I, I joined 
the team every year. And I quit every mid-season, every time, because I couldn't make the games. If it was on a Tuesday, yeah. But I couldn't make the games because it was usually on Friday or something. That was very difficult. And so another thing, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with this, where my parents didn't like people coming over my house, especially in high school, because we didn't, they didn't know if the house was clean. And so I never really invited any of my friends to my house because I was afraid of being in trouble because my parents weren't home. And if they found out that someone came over, they'd be very upset. So I was very much a loner, um, but I was always on the phone with my friends, but I was very much a loner um, growing up. And in college, I also had to adjust my schedule to always be back home around 2, 2.30 because my parents, my dad had to go somewhere and someone had to be there for my, my little sister. So I definitely created relationships. I, I, I definitely was able to create relationships in church. I created relationships, but it was very minimal. And I was really to myself. My parents we used to celebrate Christmas, but my parents stopped celebrating Christmas because they heard that it was evil when I was eight. And so during that time, I had to learn to like celebrate myself. And when I mean celebrate myself, I actually had to get my own gifts and put it under a plant. But it created my own mentality that I needed to take care of my own self for the things that I want. My parents took care of my needs. But if I wanted something, I had to work for it. I have that mentality of if I want something, I need to kind of get it myself. So much so that even in high school, when they used to give me money for lunch, I used to save that money and just eat a cookie so I can just buy things that I wanted. So. I grew up in a very independent and shell life. I never experienced some of the things my friends experienced because they were all in the streets. They were in the library. They were, they were, I didn't really experience that. I, I lived a very sheltered life throughout my lifetime. And even in college, I still had a curfew um, around 10. Caribbeans, doesn't matter what age you are, you have to be at home at a certain time because they're going to keep calling you. So. I had to be at home at a certain time. And I remember when the last, when I was 22, I realized that's when my parents kind of gave up on trying to have a curfew because they kind of locked me out, but I still got inside. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you had your way, you had your way to sneak in after they locked the doors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they didn't lock one door. So I, I snuck in. So yeah. Were you only vegan or vegetarian? And there's like, you know, the McDonald's and all this fast food. No, I ate all those different that? things. I was able to eat all those foods except pork. Pork and shrimp and some the shellfish. I was We never ate those. But I definitely ate the chicken and the beef and, and, and the lamb and, and the goat and stuff like that. But the certain foods, no, I didn't, I didn't eat that. I wasn't allowed to go to the movie theaters. I wasn't allowed to eat Pepsi, or drink Pepsi or Coca-Cola because that was caffeine. And they said that was of the devil too. I don't. They didn't say it was of the devil, but I wasn't allowed to eat, uh, eat uh, carbonated uh, drinks that had caffeine. Are you today a practicing Adventist based on how you were raised, or are you? I don't know. What What are you today? I I still re- respect and honor the Sabbath, but I give all glory to God. I want to actually promote Christianity. I am a follower of Christ. 
And I promote that instead of the religion. Yes, all right. Okay. So I'm wondering, have you been able to show up as your authentic self at work in in different settings as you've experienced America? I didn't realize my authentic self until after COVID because I thought authenticity meant doing what you feel is right and just do what you feel. But I realized being authentic is actually following your core beliefs if they match your feelings or not. Right now, because of what I've went through, COVID really opened the door to the fact that I didn't know myself. I thought I did. Um, If you didn't learn about yourself in COVID, you missed an opportunity. So I learned a lot about myself. And so right now I'm trying to be my authentic self because I, I want to start speaking. I want to start helping other people that's gone through what I've gone through in view of fighting for integrity and honor and in order to be your authentic self. So as well as right now I'm a remote worker. I am trying to be more authentic to me because I realized I wasn't being my authentic self. I was more my protective self instead of my authentic self. Right. So what is it about COVID that actually brought you that, that to that um, clarity about yourself that you weren't being authentic? Working from home, having three kids under the age of five, um, homeschooling in a townhouse broke me to depression mm-hmm. wow. um, and questioning everything it's being stuck on repeat i wasn't able to to work out i wasn't able to sleep right and when everything is focused on everything else but you you i just felt depleted and so if i was just running on empty and but i had to continue to go it broke me and so because of that i had to face some of the things that i didn't i, didn't, I never faced before i like to say we each person is the house, and when you go have some pain and trouble and everything, uh, things that are things that you don't want to go through, we we create a room for it and we close that door and we paint over it. But anytime you go through trauma, or anytime you go through a traumatic experience, that door kind of shows itself. So that's what COVID did. It showed me all the things that I was hiding. That, that's pretty deep right there. And and interestingly, mental health issues in the immigrant community writ large and uh, within the Caribbean community is so taboo. You don't see a therapist. You don't seek mental health services or help. Was that something you were exposed to? How did you realize that you were suffering from depression and that you needed help? When you reach a point where you don't care anymore, and you you have like the wrong thoughts, as well as marriage was very tough because we didn't spend any time really together. We didn't even nurture the relationship during that time. So dealing with all of that and it, it, I didn't care. I started to not care anymore and I became very reactive to life and becoming very reactive to life and questioning everything, questioning and when you start having thoughts of trying to hurt yourself or even question your existence, you have mm. to actually start. You have to start thinking, all right, there's something wrong with me. I need to do something. 
And, you know, I did get therapy. I'm not going to lie. I did get therapy. But I realized just because you have a, you get a therapist doesn't mean that you can't shop around to see the right therapist for you. I, I wish I had a, a, I got a better therapist. And during that time, I, I definitely questioned God. I did all the things I was supposed to do that I thought I was supposed to do for him to help me. But I, I felt like I, I felt very empty. I felt very dry. And, you know, luckily I still had that regimen of still kind of reading scripture, listening to motivational content. But there was this one comment that really broke me that opened up my eyes. And it was this commentary that said, what you do and what you believe cannot be separate. And when I read that, a light just clicked on. I was like, I'm not doing what I know I need to do. I've been people pleasing. I've been compromising. I've been doing all this and stuff. I've been making excuses. I've been doing all these other things, but I, ha- I wasn't doing the things that I know that can help me. So yes, I do need to, to, to find a community. Yes, I need to find a better therapist. Yes, uh, but I need to do them. I cannot just live in the excuse and blame certain things. I need to do something about it. Um, the last thing I will say is uh, my uh, my brother-in-law, I was talking to my brother-in-law one time and I was just telling him like, oh, man, life never stops. Like, I just need a break. And he said something that really caught my eye. He said, you know what? I'm not looking to catch a break anymore. Mm. You know, I'm not looking to catch a break because even when you get a break, it's just it's just like a moment, but then you have to go back. And you know, when he said that, I said, you know what I said? You know, you're right. I'm not looking to catch a break. If life is going to be this crazy, it's going to be crazy on my terms. So I have to do something about it. Like I have to do something. I can't just say, oh, life keeps happening. I have to do my best to create this and and to do something about it. Wow. Well, kudos to you for reaching out and and um, even though it's not the best therapist and you're still trying to find the best, uh, the person who is more aligned with what you need, you, you reached out and it, and it got you to this point, right? So sometimes it's not always getting to that perfect match or perfect situation, but I'm happy that you were able to reach out and seek help, you know, because sometimes people suffer in silence and in the shadows, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And it seems like it's brought you to a new realization of, of now doing coaching and so forth. Can you talk to how that came about after this period of kind of like a dark night of the soul that you went through and you just finally kind of realize who you really truly are? Well, it goes back to the quote I said. Um, I knew I should be speaking, but I had imposter syndrome and I didn't think I was worthy enough. Even when I wanted to start speaking seven to eight years ago, I was so scared. And so because I was so scared, I said, you know, let me just try to do something for money. And I realized if I do something for money, it's, it's I'm not, I'm not really going to be motivated. And so I said, I need to just do it. Uh, Will Smith said something also that really hit me. He said, you need to feel the fear and do it anyway. And that's courage. Courage is, can only be defined with fear, not outside of it. And so I just said, I, I have to do it because that's what I know I should do. And that's where I'm, I, I said, you know, what? I need to be in line with what I believe and what I do. I, I, I have to be in line because 
since I've been doing this, the weirdest thing has happened. I actually feel free to be me, which is weird. I've never felt a place where I'm free to be me. I thought I was myself. I thought I, 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 I accepted myself. I, I had a very arrogance <laughs> about who I was, but there was a lot of insecurities that I never dealt with because of COVID and now because I'm trying to align myself and not live on how I feel, not live based on how I feel, but no, I know my values. I know my core beliefs and I'm going to stick through it through all time. That's integrity. I, I want to be, have integrity. I want to be whole. That's what, also integrity. It's, it's, it's being integrated where, and that is a feeling that I think everyone should have because now I, I can say that I am trying to honor my word. I'm actually honoring myself. And in turn, I can actually help other people and give true value, the value of me, my true self. I am intrigued to hear what steps you took to actually step out, to actually do your first public speaking engagement. You have to know how you learn and you need to know how you grow. I realized I can't do it by myself. So I actually joined a, a training and as well as had a coaching to help me figure out where I should go, who I should do. But what they did was they made me ask certain questions that kind of deal with who you really are. You know, a lot of times people just want to speak because you want to speak. Um, they just want to hear themselves. They just want notoriety. They just want they just want fame. I realized I love to speak to people. It's a part of me. And I believe what Steve Jobs said, as well as Mark Cuban said, Steve Jobs says you need to do something that you're passionate about. But also Mark Cuban said that you need to follow your effort. And so there's a lot of things that I love to do. I love playing the drums, but I didn't put my best effort into it. And so I actually love speaking. I love speaking to people. I love encouraging people. And I'm actually putting my best foot forward. And so with doing that, I, I realized if you want something bad enough, you'll make it happen. But you have to really want it. I know part of the struggle that I've noticed with immigrant families when they have children in a culture that uh, is different from the one they were raised in, and particularly in the United States or the developed world where their children are now exposed to a lot more than they were. And you hear this phrase nowadays, uh, these children are so entitled, they don't mm -hmm. respect their parents. And we were raised, I mean, you you don't, you know, you respect your parents, you see the sacrifices that they make right. for you. And you're grateful for what the challenges and sacrifices that they make and overcome. And so mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, you seem to be very involved in the lives of your children and, and, and helping to parent and being present. What are some things that you are seeing that you would uh, share with, with our audience about being a parent of your now second generation American children? My kids are also, they have an entitlement to them as, as well, but we're also trying to teach them that they, they need to work and they're only eight, six, and three, but still they, they have this entitlement because they see something and 
we give them things. I think one thing that was different from our generation, this generation is one, I think we had a healthy fear of our, our parents because my kids are so much around me and have access to me. They feel entitled to me and my presence. And I do want to be there for them. I'm actually telling them I love them. I'm actually trying to be around them and give them more of the things that I didn't have. There's a cost to that. If I say, we're not doing this, they complain. And I have to tell them, I could never have done that to my parents. Because they would have smacked me in my mouth. Complain? No, no, that makes sense. Why are you complaining? Are you you're yeah. lucky that you're alive right now? So <laughs> it's I, I realize you need to never forget where you've come from and how I, I want to raise my kids is my kids are totally different. My kids are extremely hyper. But I definitely believe because we have more access, we these kids have more access to technology, they have more friends that are doing so much more stuff. One thing that I'm doing more is that my kids, they have to go outside more. They, they don't watch TV during the week. Um, they have to, they, they need to learn to know what to be bored. They, they need, to, that boredom makes you discover different stuff. So they need to know how to be bored. They need to do some work right now. They know, they need to know how to make their bed. They need to know how to uh, take care of themselves and um, brush their teeth. They need that. They, they need to hear no. Sometimes I just say no, just out of the blue. No, just, just so they can hear it, so they can get used to it. Because if we don't say no, but I still allow more dialogue, I feel like I am more American because I do talk to my kids more. I listen to my kids more. I don't do the, 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 the dialogue speeches. You know, when your parents got upset and they spoke for an hour by themselves, just complaining, <laughs> why didn't they know to do the dishes? I don't do that. I am trying my best, even though you're not going to be perfect. I'm, I'm trying to dialogue with them more. I'm trying also not to. I, I didn't realize how much my parents are in me. I, I can yell. <laughs> I can. What are you doing? What do you mean? Yeah, I, 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 Haitians are loud. I'm very sorry. Haitians are very loud. And so even if I'm saying, where's my cup? is I say it very, but I'm learning. I have to change my tone. And so I have to have a balance. I'm. I want the respect that my parents had, but I want to give them my kids the care. But I realize when you give them so much love and entitlement, it makes them complain more, whine more. And it's like, I'm finding the balance that I have to let my kids fall and learn by themselves. I can't really help them. I'm just learning as I go, but I know which direction I want to take them. I've now come to express lately that I'm a hybrid of my birth country and my adopted country. So mm. there's, the, there's I, I eat very Caribbean, very Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I have the immigrant mentality as it concerns finances and saving and right. the way you handle money right. and goals and, and progress and so forth. But I, I'm also very American in the way I view time, showing up on time and, and, and work at, you know, well, I have the work ethic, I think, from the Jamaican side as well. Um, 
but um, there's other things that are very American about me, and I'm realizing just how much I'm changing. <laughs> so and so for me, I just, I know it's important for me to expose my daughter to my birth country, for mm-hmm. her to see the different levels of wealth or poverty that exists around the world so not only Jamaica but as much as we can travel to expose her to the world so she has a a global worldview and and see how fortunate and blessed she is you know definitely I definitely agree wholeheartedly I I actually want to do one Christmas where my kids just give they don't get they just learn how to give yeah I I want to do that I want them to, to understand that this this thing. Oh, it's Christmas. Oh, it's my birthday. It's just about giving. No, uh, about getting. It's about giving. My husband and I were just discussing earlier this week how how are we going to handle our daughter because she goes to the dentist, she goes to the doctor, she goes to summer camp, she's at mm-hmm. school, and every time she she leaves, they give her a gift. If, <laughs> if we if we go out of town and I come back, I'm now doing it. I have to bring something back for her. You gotta bring and I'm something like, back. And I'm like, what is this? We were never <laughs> raised like this, right? Right, right? And so I have to figure out a way to break her out of that because she doesn't really understand or receive the word no very well. And I have to find a way to communicate it and explain why I need her to do something a certain way. So it's, it's interesting raising children in this culture. They don't hear it that much. That's why I say I'm literally just spurting out no so they could just. You've had a very interesting uh, journey. And I I wonder what clues have your journey uh, left you? Uh, what are things that you know now that you wish you knew earlier in life or your, that you would tell your younger self today? One, you have to do your best at all things. I wish I put 100% in. A, a lot of things because if I did I would have been I would have been better <laughs> let me just say that I would definitely tell him to you need to you should put your best at all times not to get but because of who you are you're a child of a king so I, I would definitely say that what other clues I would say is one um, get to know your parents sooner I, I really got to know my parents my age in the age of 20, 25. And I was like, oh man, you guys are really cool. But they, I never actually tried to develop a relationship with them when I was younger. Um, I was just, it was just more of an obedient, just do this. Yes, I do this. Yes. Boom, boom. We went on vacation. We did have family dinner and lunch, but I, I would definitely say get to know your parents sooner because they're older now. I wish I had an opportunity to take advantage of them while they were younger. That's that's the two things I would probably say. And, and particularly with immigrant um, parents and in the immigrant community, they work so much, right? If the first generation to be here, it's just work, work, work. I, I completely yeah. get it. I see it in my family. They miss out on school activities. They miss out on seeing their kids really grow up and uh, everyday activities and, and things, the daily activities of life. They miss out because they're working so hard just to provide and, and make life easier for us. So such a pity, right? But we know the sacrifices they make. So we now have to try to do a little bit better and learn from their lives. 
And I'm wondering what advice you have for, for immigrants, people who are new coming in, people who've been here for a while, maybe first generation children of immigrants. Like, how do you survive and thrive in this American culture? What advice do you have? Someone said to me, to really make it in this country, and I'm just talking about financially, you have to make it in business, real estate, and stocks. Don't be afraid to go and take a risk in business, real estate, and stocks, especially if you're young, because you'll have time to recover. But you'll never know. Like, take do calculated risk in those areas. Um, business, real estate, and stocks. That's the three main arenas um, that will really boost, one, your, your net worth, but also just to understand how to, you know, really grow in this country. Um, another thing I would say is don't be afraid to ask for help. Asking for help is not the wrong thing, but also know who to ask help for from. Just because someone says they're going to help you doesn't mean that they will. Before you say yes to anyone that says that they're going to help you, make sure that they are vetted. Make sure that they, they have the right intentions for you. Just be careful in this country because people will take advantage of you. This is a great country, um, and there's a cost for every choice you make. Try to take advantage of what America has for immigrants, but as an American, you have rights. You can take advantage uh, of this country. There are so many immigrants that you don't even know who are leaders who are who are a tech company who are tech CEOs they are doing so much um, and they've they've worked hard for it um, but you can do and be anything that you want to be um, but just stick to your core beliefs and I think you will do well wise advice do you want to talk about your coaching services and how do people find you do you have a website how do people find you to seek out your services? If you want to seek me, you could go to www.garysteve.com. Um, I provide uh, over there. You can contact me and we'll, we'll set up a consultation. And if you need me for any speaking engagements, just contact me uh, as well as through that website. And my social media, uh, Instagram is Gary Steve Speaks. So that's pretty simple. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, um, Gary Gracia. Uh, that last name, you're not going to find Gary next to a Gracia. That he, <laughs> I'm an anomaly. So I'm probably the only Gary Steve. Um, uh, now, Gary Steve Gracia. Um, and it's not Garcia. It's Gracia. It's G-R-A-C-I-A. Um, that's a common mistake most people make. But yeah, that's where you can find me. And I hope to connect with you and others um, soon. Do you speak French for us French French speakers, Haitian Creole speakers out there who might be seeking a coach who speak their native language so that it's a much easier flow in communication? Do you have that for other people who specifically might need someone like you? So I understand it better than I speak it. And most of the time in my, my culture, they make fun of me because I don't speak. I speak Creole like I'm, uh, I'm an American. So, I, I, but I, I could definitely connect you though. I could definitely find and help you connect with uh, a French speaking 
coaches, life coaches, as well as therapists. I can definitely connect you. I definitely can have a network for that. That's easy. Um, so if you do, if you do speak Creole and if you do need help and any assistance with French speaking Creole, please connect with me. I can connect you to the right person. Awesome. Awesome. So your website again is Gary and Steve, your middle name. Is that right? Correct. All right. And they can find you on social media under that um, name yes. as well. And then yeah. Gary, Steve Gracia or Gary, Steve Gracia on LinkedIn. It's yeah. been such a pleasure. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your time with me today, Gary. Awesome. Thank you again, Sloan. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.